This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, my name's Tobias Jones. I'm the author of The Murder That Has Obsessed Italy. So this was a case in which a 13-year-old girl went missing in the north of Italy in Bergamo, or near Bergamo, and... The way in which the case was solved was extraordinary. It was the first time really in which a a DNA case was built by this this investigative magistrate, Lutizieri Ruggeri. And it's a long and complicated case. Sometimes with articles, there's just one image that makes you think this is an extraordinary story. And the image that that I had in my head, this is obviously a murder case, was the fact that a long deceased man had licked a postage stamp and the DNA from that postage stamp solved the crime. And what I liked about it was, apart from the obvious tragedy, was that the cast of characters were extraordinary. You have an investigator who is a single woman, who is a black belt at karate, who cut her teeth working in Sicily, investigating the mafia. And there was this sort of very experienced investigator called Giovanni Mocerino, who just spent a lot of time up in the mountains talking to people and trying to understand and find out who this bus driver might have had an affair with decades previously. This case, with all the tragedy and sadness of of the individual murder, this case sort of took the covering off a section of Italian society. You got a glimpse into what this conservative Catholic area of North Italy might have been like in the 60s and 70s. And this is a place, you know, this is a country where divorce was only legalized in 1970. So, you know, a lot of people who had unhappy marriages or suffered infidelities stayed together. So it was was almost like a, a case which allowed me to write a portrait of Italy through the ages. Welcome to The Guardian Long Read, showcasing the best long form journalism covering culture, politics and new thinking. For the text version of this and all our long reads, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read. The Murder That Has Obsessed Italy by Tobias Jones (music) 
Yara Gambirasio should only have been gone a short while. On Friday the 26th of November 2010 at 5.15pm, she left home to go to the gym just a few hundred metres from her home. Yara, who was 13 and wore train track braces, was preparing for her rhythmic gymnastics display the following Sunday. All she needed to do was drop off a stereo with her instructor. She said goodbye to her family, who knew where she was going, and left the house. By 7pm, Yara had still not come home, and her parents were becoming increasingly anxious. The town where they lived, Brembate di Sopra, was a sedate place on the so-called Bergamask Island between the rivers Brembo and Adda. An hour north of Milan and just south of the Bergamo Alps, it has a population of 8,000. From its quiet streets, lined with poplars and cypresses, you can see the wooded mountains in the distance, the peaks turning blue-grey. At 7.11pm, Yara's mother phoned her daughter, but the call went straight to voicemail. Twenty minutes later, Yara's father called the police. The call was put through to the public prosecutor's office in the centre of the provincial capital Bergamo, a city 11 kilometres east of Brembate di Sopra. The magistrate on duty was Letizia Ruggeri, a tough former policewoman who had earned her stripes fighting Cosa Nostra in Sicily. She had been a magistrate for almost 15 years and knew what needed to be done. Within minutes, she had dispatched both state police officers and carabinieri, military police, to Brambate di Sopra. Yara's gym instructor confirmed that she had seen the teenager earlier that day and that she had done some light training before heading off. The police quickly established that the last known contact with Yara was a text message she had sent to a friend, Martina, at 6.44pm, agreeing to meet at 8am the following Sunday. That was the last anyone heard from her. The gym was part of a large sports complex, a garish building with many entrances and exits. Besides the large sports hall, there was a running track, a swimming pool and various courts. A few people said they'd seen two men, possibly in conversation with Yara, standing near a red car, but there was little more to go on than that. Ruggeri called in tracker dogs, a breed of bloodhound, Segugio Italiano with short brown and black hair, long ears, doleful eyes, and a keen sense of smell. Instead of following the expected route back to Yara's home in Via Rampinelli, Ruggeri's dogs went in the opposite direction, towards a small hamlet nearby called Mapello. When the team analysed the last signals from Yara's mobile phone, the result showed that it had been registered as present in Mapello at 18.49 that evening. Everything seemed to point away from Yara's family, but investigations of this type always start at home. Over the next few days, Ruggeri and her team questioned every member of the Gambirasio family looking for signs of discord or dark secrets. Yara's parents were well-known and respected. Her father, Fulvio, was a large, solid man with thick glasses, an architect whose father had been the local postman, like his mother before him. Maura, Fulvio's wife, was a teacher in Nonguelo, a nearby town. The marriage appeared strong. They had four children. Yara had an older sister, Kiba, 15, and two younger brothers, Natan and Joele, both under 10. 
Ruggeri put wiretaps on hundreds of phones. Her team also tried to trace the owners of all the handsets, some 15,000, which had passed through Mapello on the day of Yara's disappearance. One of these belonged to a Moroccan man called Mohamed Fikri. In one wiretap conversation in late November, the interpreter heard the phrase, Forgive me, God, I didn't kill her. Fikri had been working in a builder's yard in Mapello. But by the time investigators had put the pieces together, a few days later, he was on a boat bound for Tangiers. On the 4th of December, Italian authorities intercepted the vessel and arrested Fikri. They searched the van he had been using and discovered that it contained a blood-stained mattress. People liked him as the guilty party, Ruggeri told me ruefully last year, because he was foreign. But Fikri was quickly cleared. The phrase had been mistranslated, and the blood was extraneous to the investigation. As autumn slipped into winter, Brembate di Sopra found itself at the centre of a mystery which had captured the country's imagination. Italian TV is dominated by cronache nere, crime news, and now national camera crews descended. The Gamberasio family were horrified by the sudden glare of publicity. TV cameras became a permanent fixture in their quiet cul-de-sac. The family locked themselves away, lowering their shutters, and even turning down the idea of a torchlight procession to raise awareness. Instead, nuns from the Ursuline order who taught at Yara's school came to pray with Maura. A mass was held instead of the procession, and the rare statements from the parents were devout pleas for privacy and patience. The reticence of the Gambirasio family reflected the culture of this region. The province of Bergamo is much closer to Switzerland than Naples, and the Bergamaschi are generally more reserved than their southern countrymen. It's in the spirit of mountain people to disdain gossip and not to repeat nonsense, Piero Bonicelli, the editor of Araberara, a colourful local newspaper, told me. If I don't know something, if I have only heard it said, I don't say anything until I'm certain it's true. Desperate to discover the whereabouts of their daughter, the Gamberasio family did share some photographs of Yara with the press in the days after her disappearance. Yara queuing to take communion, doing the splits in the gym, a studio photo of her in a yellow top in an Italy football shirt on the beach. But no one came forward with any useful information. When her parents finally made a televised appeal a few days after their first Christmas without Yara, they looked awkward. Maura was so uncomfortable she was unintentionally rolling her eyes. Fulvio, who wore a rugby shirt, hesitantly read a plea. Help us return to normality. He explained that the family values were love, respect and honesty, and that they would be giving no interviews. This wariness towards outsiders owes much to the region's history. Bergamo is still called, in local dialect, Bergem, an old name which means the town of the mountain. The city has always been a strategically important citadel, one of the last redoubts before the flat, fertile basin of the River Po. The Bergamaschi are used to seeing off invasions. Just a few miles west of Brembate di Sopra is a small town called Pontida, where, in 1167, the Lombard League, the alliance of northern Italian cities which joined together to resist the German Holy Roman Emperor Frederick I, was formed. The oath of Pontida still exerts a symbolic power today. 
It's frequently evoked by the separatists of the Northern League to rally sentiment against outsiders, against the perceived indolence and corruption of Southern Italy, or more commonly now, against immigrants from developing nations. This setting was part of what fascinated the Italian public about Yara's disappearance. The province of Bergamo seemed to represent two different sides of the country, where lower Bergamo towards the plains is fashionable, well-connected and industrialized. Alpine Bergamo is agricultural, remote and deeply traditional, a close-knit place which nurtures suspicion, even superstition. Some locals talk without irony of this being a land of streche, of witches, who steal or poison young children. Yara's disappearance has continued to grip the Italian public over the past four years, becoming one of the most extraordinary and sophisticated criminal investigations in Italian history. It's like a novel, a newspaper editor once told me, shaking his head. When I recently asked Ruggeri, the chief investigator, to sum up the case, she stared at her desk and just said, incredible, four times. On the afternoon of the 26th of February 2011, exactly three months after Yara disappeared, a middle-aged man named Ilario Scotti was flying his radio-controlled plane in the small town of Cignolo d'Isola, 10 kilometres south of Brembate di Sopra. Cignolo is surrounded by industrial estates, and the scrubland by Via Badeschi seemed like a safe, unpopulated place for Scotty to try out his new model aircraft. The model aeroplane wasn't functioning as Scotty wanted, though, so he brought it down to earth amid the tall weeds. As he picked up his plane, he caught sight of some rags on the ground nearby. At first he thought someone had been fly-tipping. Then he saw the shoes. <gasps> Ruggeri was coming back from a day's skiing with her daughter when she got the call that a body had been found. She dropped her daughter at home and went straight to the crime scene. The body was in an advanced state of decomposition, but Ruggeri could see the black bomber jacket with its elasticated waist which Yara had been wearing when she left home in November. There too was her Hello Kitty sweatshirt. Crime scene investigators found Yara's iPod and house keys, as well as the SIM card and battery for her LG phone. The phone itself was missing. It was a relief, Ruggeri told me later. Yara's disappearance had really disturbed me, I'm a mother too, and the only thing worse than the death of a child is the disappearance of a child. The autopsy was conducted by Italy's most famous forensic pathologist, Professor Cristina Catania. She discovered traces of lime in Yara's respiratory passages, and the presence of jute, a vegetable fibre used to make rope, on her clothing. Yara hadn't been raped, although her purple bra was unhooked. She had suffered multiple injuries from a sharp weapon which had pierced her clothing at various points. It seemed that she had been attacked and abandoned. She had died of exposure.
The presence of lime and jute suggested the killer might be in the building trade. The forensics team retrieved two DNA samples, one from Yara's phone battery and the other from two fingers of her black gloves, but neither matched any samples the authorities had on record. Two months later, in April, the commander of the Scientific Investigations Department in Palmer phoned Ruggeri. I've got good news, he told her. This murder has a signature. We found male DNA on the underwear of the deceased. It was likely that the murderer had himself been wounded in the struggle, leaving his DNA on the girl's knickers. Ruggeri and her team named the murder suspect Ignoto One, Unknown One. Now the hunt for Yara's killer could begin in earnest. The workload was huge, and Ruggeri divided up the duties. The police were responsible for taking DNA samples from family members, from school friends and people in the gym. The Carabinieri concentrated on the phone records, cross-referencing all the mobile phones that had moved from Brembate di Sopra to Cignolo d'Isola on the 26th of November 2010. Each phone user whose number appeared in both cells was tracked down and asked for a DNA sample. It was slow and laborious work. It took geneticists in Parma, Pavia and Rome a minimum of six hours to transform just a few samples of DNA into something which could be read and compared on a computer screen. The cost in machinery and manpower was immense and the investigation would go on to become one of the most expensive manhunts in Italian history. Yara's funeral took place on a hot morning in late May 2011. Onlookers applauded the white coffin which was topped with a huge bouquet of white flowers as the hearse slowly drove towards her gym. The ceremony took place in the sports hall where she had spent so many hours training and where she had last been seen alive. Outside, a large crowd watched the funeral on a giant screen and heard the condolences of Giorgio Napolitano, the President of the Republic. By the time of the funeral, investigators had taken thousands of DNA samples but they still had no leads. Close to the scrubland where Yara's body had been found was a nightclub called Sabie Mobili, Quicksand. Ruggeri knew that murderers tend to dump bodies in areas with which they're very familiar, so although it seemed like a long shot, in spring 2011 investigators started taking DNA samples outside the club on busy Fridays and Saturdays. Sabie Mobili had a reputation for violence, a young man from the Dominican Republic had been murdered outside its doors on the 16th of January 2011. But the club had helpful records. Clubbers required a membership card to get in, and so the authorities could easily track down anyone who went there regularly. Ruggeri finally got a break. One of the samples from Sabie Mobili seemed strikingly similar to the suspect, Ignoto One. The man who gave the sample was called Damiano Gerinoni, he was quickly excluded as a suspect. He had been in South America on the day of Yara's disappearance. But geneticists were convinced he was a close relative of the murderer. We were all very excited, Ruggeri told me. We said, bingo, just a couple of more days and we'll have the murderer. As Ruggeri and her team put together the jigsaw of Gerinoni's family, they made an astonishing discovery. Damiano Gerinoni's mother, Aurora Zani, had worked for 10 years as a domestic help in the Gambarasio home. She lived nearby and had gone to Yara's home twice a week throughout the young girl's childhood. Zani was a middle-aged woman who was very attached to her employers. 
She recalled how Yara would always ask her to watch her latest gymnastics moves, and Zanny would tell her to be careful not to hurt herself. In 2011, she was no longer working for the family, but said her relationship with Yara's parents was excellent. To find herself at the centre of the investigation into Yara's murder was, Zanny said later, the worst thing that could happen to me. Obviously, Ruggeri says, we intercepted Damiano Gerinoni and Aurora Zanni's calls, had them followed, grilled them and tortured them in the sense that we pressed them. It was only after months of close surveillance that Ruggeri, in the summer of 2011, resigned herself to the fact that it was just a crazy coincidence. There was no connection, she says. You couldn't make it up. This whole case is crazy. Having seemed so close to a resolution, Ruggeri's team reluctantly discarded the angle of the domestic help. The only promising lead they still had was the fact that Damiano Gerinoni's DNA was so similar to that of Ignoto One. Thank you for listening to The Guardian Long Read. We'll be back after this. Hello, Faker Others here. This summer, the UK will play host to the Women's Euro Championship. I would say it's going to be a seminal moment, but I have promised my producers that that kind of chat is not going to be allowed on our brand new podcast, The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly. Throughout July, myself, Susie Rack and a bunch of women's football experts will be on hand three times a week to provide instant reaction and analysis from the tournament. We'll be launching with a preview episode on Monday the 4th of July, so make sure to search, subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The audio long read is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash audiolongread today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. 
help.com slash audio long read. Welcome back to The Guardian Long Read. A year on from Yara's murder, Ruggeri's team was now under intense pressure to find the killer. Thousands of people were being DNA tested, and some locals who hadn't been approached for a sample suggested to the press that the investigation was haphazard. Politicians made personal attacks on Ruggeri. One Northern League politician, Daniele Bellotti, publicly decried her incompetence, writing an open letter in January 2012 to the Minister of Justice, asking for her to be replaced by someone of proven experience. Ruggeri filed a lawsuit against Bellotti for libel on the 20th of April 2012, taking particular objection to his characterization of her as a person of low technical and moral profile. Behind these criticisms of Ruggeri was a strong undercurrent of sexism. What hope was there that this woman could solve such a complex crime? She was unconventional. A single mother with long salt and pepper hair and five earrings in her left ear. She played classical guitar, rode to work on an old Vespa and had a black belt in karate. Ruggeri felt she was also being targeted because she had decided to drop the case against the Moroccan labourer, Mohamed Fikri. Many people thought I had made the wrong decision, Ruggeri told me, and they held it against me. The criticism was ferocious. I found it very tough. Ruggeri decided to concentrate on the only promising lead she had, the Gerinoni DNA. Her team spent months recreating the Gerinoni family tree. When I visited her office last year, Ruggeri pulled out a folder and showed me hundreds of names, each one annotated dates of birth, places of birth, relationships within the family. The investigators had worked out a complete genealogical tree as far back as 1815, with other branches of the family going back as far as 1716. The roots of that family tree were in the small village of Gorno. It's only 45 minutes drive north of Bergamo itself, up the narrow Seriana Valley, but it feels like another world. You arrive through a series of hairpin bends into a village that smells of wood smoke and chickens. In the distance, you can hear the sound of waterfalls and cowbells. The village is full of narrow flights of steps. The only horizontal patch of land is a sandy five-a-side football pitch. Although only 1,600 people live in Gorno and it seems like a quiet, pious place, according to one former parish, the village is a bit too hot in every sense. Let's say they're a bit promiscuous. In 2011, two people in Gorno were murdered in unrelated incidents. The same families have been here for centuries, and on the village's war memorial outside the small church, the names of Benedetto and Pietro Gerinoni are carved into the stone. The Gerinoni family were nicknamed Ifanti, the infantry, considered by everyone to be loyal, strong, even hot-headed. Damiano Gerinoni's father had a brother, Giuseppe, who had died in 1999. Investigators visited Giuseppe's widow in September 2011 and found two stamps he had licked, one in order to validate his driving license and another on a postcard he had sent to his family. 
When DNA results came back from that sample, they had another breakthrough. Geneticists were convinced that Giuseppe Gerinoni was the father of Ignoto I, the suspected murderer. Ruggeri's team quickly built up a picture of Giuseppe Gerinoni and his family. Giuseppe himself, a thick-set man with a rugged face, had been a bus driver who played the accordion at village festivals. His marriage to Laura Poli had seemed conventional. They had three children, a girl and two boys. Laura had become a Jehovah's Witness, and after her husband's death had moved to a nearby town, Cluzone. Since Ignoto I was male, Investigators concentrated on the sons, Pierpaolo and Diego. Pierpaolo was, like his mother, a Jehovah's Witness. Diego had a drug problem. Neither provided a perfect match with Ignoto I, however, and neither of them had children. If Ignoto I really was the son of the late Giuseppe Gerinoni, the only explanation was that somewhere out there was his illegitimate child. It became, Ruggeri says, an investigation within an investigation. She was now hunting a woman, presumably in middle to old age, who, 30 or 40 years ago, had had an affair with a married man, now long dead, and given birth to a boy who went on to murder Yara Gambirassio. It proved extremely difficult for investigators to penetrate the mountain villages, Ponte Selva, Pare, Cluzone and Rovetta, where they were looking for clues and leads. Some Italian journalists spoke of the cocciutagine or pig-headedness of the Bergamo Alps, a caricature which only served to antagonise the already defensive locals. The people here, says Bonicelli, the editor of Araberara, were irritated by the stereotype of Highlanders closed in on themselves. The word omerta was even used, which implies the silence of Sicily and the Mafia. It was deeply offensive. There was incomprehension on both sides. The investigation was, by Italian standards, unusually secretive. Locals couldn't understand why police hunting the murderer of a 13-year-old girl were taking DNA samples of elderly women. Bonicelli, a fan of the fictional detectives Maigret and Montalbano, says that the investigation was lacking the traditional human element, the sort of person who goes into a bar in the village and puts someone at ease so that something slips out. Locals felt there was something cold about this investigation with its invasive demands for DNA samples. And it was changing the atmosphere in these small communities. People thought, says Bonicelli, that the murderer was here amongst us, so there was a sort of, not panic, but fear. Investigators knew that from the early 1960s onwards, for two weeks every May, Giuseppe Gerinoni used to go to a spa resort called Salice Terme, south of Milan, without his wife. Throughout the spring of 2012, Ruggeri's team scoured records and registers, tracking all the women who had stayed in the resort at the same time of year as Gerinoni. They searched orphanages and homes for fallen women. They tested single mothers and women who had left the mountains for Lower Bergamo. They came up empty-handed. The woman they were looking for, they realised, was probably neither single nor fallen, but hidden behind the walls of a marriage. Divorce was only legalised in Italy in 1970, 
Until that time, many couples had stayed together despite infidelities. By the time Ruggeri was searching for Ignoto Wan's mother, Yara's parents had hired their own expert, a freelance geneticist, in order to review the investigation and explain it to them. For almost a year, Giorgio Portera lobbied for the exhumation of Giuseppe Garinoni's body from the cemetery in Gorno. He was concerned that investigators had only been able to compare 13 short tandem repeat, or STR, regions, which are sequences of DNA, with the DNA of Ignoto 1. Confirmation of paternity demands that at least 15 STR regions be compared. So early on the 7th of March 2013, workmen chiselled into Gerinoni's loculo, the horizontal slot in a cemetery wall where his coffin was kept, and removed his remains. They were transferred by Carabinieri to the Papa Giovanni XXIII hospital in Bergamo for examination before being returned to Gorno just a few hours later. A couple of camera crews and a few bewildered villagers watched. When DNA was extracted from his remains, 29 STR regions could be compared. It was now absolutely certain that Gerinoni was the father of Ignoto I. As the investigation dragged on through 2013, the public slowly became aware of why a woman was being sought. It became common knowledge that the late Giuseppe Gerinoni had had a lover, and that she was thought to be the mother of the murderer. We have rediscovered, wrote one journalist, that accursed desire for gossip which spices up small-town life. Now, here, Everyone wants to know whose son so-and-so is. Long-forgotten infidelities and old suspicions surfaced. Bonicelli laughs as he describes how his journalists discovered five illegitimate children in two small villages. Five! We could have started a gossip magazine. It was like an open sewer. We were receiving anonymous letters, stories, people telling us about backgrounds and cook-offs a society which had always prided itself on its sense of loyalty and traditional Catholicism, suddenly discovered the betrayals in its midst. Perhaps the point is this, Bonicelli wrote in an editorial. We don't know each other anymore. Until this point, the investigation had been characterised by cutting-edge scientific analysis, but it was an old-fashioned detective who broke the case open. Marshal Giovanni Mocerino was Ruggeri's right-hand man, working in the office next to hers. His desk is covered in hundreds of scraps of paper scrawled with names and numbers in different coloured inks. Mocerino has bushy grey hair and black-rimmed glasses and speaks in a light-hearted, informal manner. But he's also, by his own admission, a capotosta, a stubborn man. I get fucked off when I can't solve a case, he told me. Because of this case, he said, I haven't had a holiday for four years. Although Mocerino was born in the south near Naples, he had lived in the Bergamo Alps area since 1983, and he had come to know the region well. He was always talking with local people, and sensitised, as he said, thousands to the case. He reminded them that amid all the gossip about infidelities that had been sparked off by the hunt for Gerinoni's lover, a young girl had been killed. By 2013, he knew everything about Gerinoni's life, 
Born in Gorno, Gerinoni had moved in the mid-1960s to Ponte Selva, a nearby settlement which had grown up around the bridge over the Serio River. He drove a public bus for the Mottolini, later SAB, bus company. In the 1960s and 70s, he would have driven plenty of young women to and from jobs in the various textile factories. Mocherino questioned Gerinoni's fellow bus drivers, one of whom had already gone to the press in March 2013, saying that Gerinoni had confessed to having got a young woman in trouble. Another former colleague described Gerinoni as a man with a capital M, implying that he was a womanizer. But it wasn't until June 2014 that one of Mocherino's sources finally gave him the name he was looking for. Mocherino has always protected his sources and refuses to confirm who first whispered the name of the mystery woman to him. But however it came about, investigators had the final piece of the jigsaw, Esther Artsufi. Artsufi had been a neighbour of Gerinoni's in Ponte Selva in the late 1960s. In 1966, aged 19, she had married Gianni Bossetti from Pare, a nearby village. Bossetti was a man whose tough life had turned him inwards. He had been orphaned young and suffered from psoriasis, arthrosis and depression. Artsufi seemed very different, an outgoing, good-looking woman. She wore short skirts and dyed her hair. She got a job at the textile factory a few miles away in Villa Doña and took the bus every day. Ruggeri's team immediately cross-checked the DNA samples they had and discovered that Artsufi had already been tested in July 2012. They double-checked and realised that a basic error had been made by a geneticist in Rome. Artsufi's DNA had been compared not to Ignoto Wands, but to Yara's. Now investigators hurriedly re-ran the test and discovered that Artsufi was indeed the woman they had spent so long looking for. She was the mother of Ignoto I. Artsufi had left Ponte Selva in 1970, but she had continued her affair with Gerinoni, and in the autumn of 1970 she gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl. The boy was called Massimo Bossetti. His middle name was Giuseppe, like his biological father. A slim boy who loved to party, he was nicknamed the animal by his friends. He was now 42, a builder, married with three children and living in Mapello, the hamlet near Yara's hometown where the last signal from Yara's cell phone had been recorded on the 26th of November 2010. He was short, with piercing blue eyes, and had a peroxided pencil goatee. Ruggeri moved fast. On the 15th of June 2014, she set up a fake roadblock, breathalyzing drivers. When her police officers stopped Massimo Bossetti, they pretended the machine hadn't worked the first time so they could get two good samples. His DNA was immediately sent for overnight tests and results showed it was an exact match with Ignoto 1. One geneticist told me that the chance of a random match between Ignoto 1 and Massimo Bossetti was 2 times 10 to the power of minus 27. Ruggeri wanted to observe Bossetti before arresting him to study his movements and behaviour from a distance, but she was also worried that the news would get out and that he might leave town. On the 16th of June, Bossetti was arrested and charged with the murder of Yara Gamberasio. The Italian Home Secretary himself released a statement announcing his arrest. Reaction in the mountains of Bergamo, centre of the investigation, was relief. The murder suspect was from Lower Bergamo. 
Investigators discovered plenty of circumstantial evidence. Bossetti had frequently hung around Yara's house. He parked his car in Via Don Sala behind the gym and ate at the Toscanaccia pizzeria at the end of her road. He had gone for regular UV showers at a tanning shop nearby. His internet searches were troubling, using search words which implied a compulsion for pubescent young girls. More pertinently, records suggested that his phone had been present in Brembate di Sopra on the evening of Yara's disappearance, but had been switched off from 5.45pm until the following morning at 7.34am. For Ruggeri, the arrest was the reward for almost four years of dogged investigative work. After enduring a barrage of criticism for alleged incompetence, she was now fated for her brilliance. The case is likely to come to trial this spring. Bozzetti maintains his innocence, and his lawyers are planning to contest the DNA evidence, claiming that DNA merely indicates presence, not responsibility. Meanwhile, three families are dealing with the devastation of the case. Gerinoni's widow has been forced in the autumn of her life to come to terms with her husband's infidelity and the existence of his other children. Meanwhile, just as he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, Giovanni Bozzetti became the nation's most famous cuckold, learning at the same time as the rest of the country that none of his three children are his. Leaks from the investigation revealed that Esther Artsufi's third child, Fabio, also had a different father. The marriage of the accused, Massimo Bozzetti, has also come under strain. Since his defence sought to portray him as a family man, two people have come forward to claim that they had affairs with his wife. Such is the local loathing for Bassetti that since his arrest, his twin sister, herself coming to terms with both her brother's fate and the fact that the man she thought was her father is not biologically related to her, has twice been beaten up. Her mother, Esther Artsufi, still denies that she's ever been unfaithful to her husband. The Gamberasio family, meanwhile, has remained private. Recently, awarding a gymnastics trophy named after her daughter, Maura Gamberasio struggled to smile and made no public comments. She's cut her hair short and looks gaunt. Yara is buried between her two grandparents in a cemetery just across the road from her gym. There's no date on her tombstone, only a signature next to a photograph of her wearing a white Alice band. All around the grave are mementos left by her friends, gym shoes, a metal tube, rag dolls, plastic angels and little bracelets. Often in the early evening you see Yara's father Fulvio standing here, gazing at the resting place of his parents and his daughter. That was The Murder That Has Obsessed Italy by Tobias Jones. Read by Andrew McGregor and produced by Jessica Beck. The executive producer was Maz Ebtahaj. For more Guardian long reads in text and a selection in audio, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read or find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud forward slash theguardianlongread. This is The Guardian.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 